Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. that sounds something great is coming your way and it might just be pre-code it is another edition of film with me perfect on 91.3 wyso i'm your host nikki dakota joined in the studio by the nitrate film archivist from the library of congress and possessor of the largest frame brain on the planet he is our friend george williman and i'm feeling sassy <laughs> Good thing. Just and Sassy doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> also, in the studio today, live and in person, the storyboard artist working with the Coen brothers with every movie they've made since, Raised in Arizona, and many, many other movies that we know and love. He's talented, he's amazing, and he's our friend. He's J. Todd Anderson. J. Todd. I'm sitting here in my 1933 undershorts because of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Did a woman buy those for you? <laughs> Well, I don't know. We may have to talk about that in the next 30 minutes. (laughs) We are gathered together today to talk about a perfect film. And uh, this is uh, according to the film guys. And this film is... Employees Entrance, uh, Warner Brothers drama from 1933, directed by Roy Del Ruth. 1933. It's very important because this is a pre-code movie. Back, back in the 30s, uh, the movie... industry was getting out of hand so they had to bring in the postmaster general and make him the president of of this new organization that forced people to be dignified and not use all the clever innuendos they're using this film for sex and it's a very historic line of demarcation in the making of film as art Mm -hmm. and it's called the haze Named code, code, or the production code. Production the, the official code. name is the production code. It's named after the postmaster general at one Will time. Hayes. Will Hayes. And that went into effect about a year after this movie right. was made. I believe it was January of 1934 is when it went into effect. So we so had... you couldn't have any more of this, you know... No, no sex, no violence. You can't have any of that. And the bad guy had to get his just desserts. Had to get his just desserts. And, and uh, I think one time, for fun, we should almost devote a whole show to this code, code and the effect that it had, the Hayes Code. Um, but suffice it to say that just, I mean, one of the rules that came out of it is that if two people were in bed, each of them had to have at least one foot on the floor at all times. Or am I, am I is that... Folklore. I thought that was like something in old hotels, but you could be right. Yes. There were yeah, lots yeah. of rules. You know, when you're leaving the hotel rules. room, there's a little card on the door that tells you not to do that. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> One foot on the bed, please. But it was a lot of rules, and I have to imagine that was a pretty uh, stark day when it came to everybody to study that book. And It was, and I'm sure for directors and writers it was just a pain, but you know, the companies were in the business of making money, so they were going to do pretty much whatever they were told at that time. And they very, very easily, you know, just kind of fell right in line. There were a few independents that kind of, you know, traipsed around the outside edges. Would uh, they be punished if they didn't comply? It was kind of a self, a self um, policing thing. They would have the problem maybe of not getting their film shown well, in the Legion, major venues. The Legion of Decency. The Legion right? of De- Decency, which was uh, the Catholic Church's. Uh, 
censorship bureau. Sprung on, on, on. I'm yeah. sure I've never even heard of that. Well, that's yeah. what they were trying to appease uh, characters like those guys because they were going to make sure that they didn't get bad. This, this is considered an exhibition, not considered art. Is, right. You know. And there are a lot of independent films from the 30s that are often referred to as exploitation movies that, you know, try to tell a moral story, but tell it, you know, but use, you know, like orgies and sex and drugs to kind <laughs> to of do, tell their story. So. Yes. <laughs> and of course, DeMille, DeMille got away with murder. Away, just watch that scene when Moses comes down from the mountain. You'll, you'll see a lot of them. But, um, but yeah, for the mainstream Hollywood, like, like these films that were made by Warner Brothers, a lot of them just got the kibosh put on them and the big studios kind of fell into lockstep with the production code. So with rules in mind, let mm. it be noted that uh, this is no easy job to find yourself as a movie on the list of perfect movies, according to the film guys, because there's very strict, strict. stringent, right. of top sort of and, you know, honor our own, and nobility. Our Draconian, own Will Hayes. I think is the word. Draconian. We have our own production code guy. That's Budinsky. <laughs> and he makes sure that we're not going to get out of line here. He, we call him the Budinsky code. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to do movies that are pre and Budinsky's post. Budinsky's code... <laughs> Of decency. <laughs> and those rules, those codes, gentlemen, are? Uh, employee interest, the pre-code movie, creates the world that it existed. And it wholly sustains that world. Regardless of changes in society, employee's interest retains its meaning and entertainment value. And employee's entrance will never be placed in any kind of preferential or numerical order. It is perfect in its own scale. That's right. I'd say I enjoyed this film quite a lot. Oh, good, good. Yes. This and this one actually for us would be kind of a hard choice because there are several Watch of these. Them, man. One's baby uh, face. That's yeah, these cool. Warner Brothers uh, pre codes are like the cream of the crop. Other studios, of course, were in the same boat and they were making the same kind of salacious films at the time. But Warner Brothers, for whatever reason, whether yeah. it was the Warners themselves or, or it was, um, I mean, Zanuck, Daryl Zanuck was working there at this time too. They had a, they have a real edge to them. And you know this, it's not all kind of fluffy and pretty like it was at MGM or Paramount. They're kind of gritty. They're always, very gritty. You know, I, I can only say, and I'm very prejudiced about this, is that when I'm watching Turner Classic Movies or something, and MGM comes up, I'm, I'm ready to turn the button over because I, there's not too much of that. That MGM it's stuff, all soft focus it just and gossamer just doesn't wings. work for me. Now in the '50s, they came out with some, you know, film noir, but it, but. Usually you're not disappointed when the Warner, you know, the Warner Shield comes. The Warner up, you Brothers, know, something fun's going to be there. And they always got <laughs> some character who's outside the lines. I mean, there's somebody's always out the lines pushing. Uh, you know, even after the code, they push the violence. Uh, the the characters and, and the actors that they groomed, like Barbara Stanwyck, um, James Cagney, Eddie G. Robinson, yeah. they were all dynamic characters. This guy, uh, uh, Wallace Warren, Ford, Wallace Ford, and, and Warren William. He's in this. He's in a lot of those pre-code movies, like Babyface, I think. Right? Isn't he in that one? Mm, Which one is he in? He's in. Um, he plays the same character every time. Yeah, kind he's of in the like rakish. The, uh, Beauty and the Ball. He always plays the shark, you know, because the shark. Gold diggers are thirty-three. If the shark stops swimming, you know, the, the water doesn't go over his gills and it dies. You know, uh, he's always that kind of character. He doesn't stop swimming ever. He's the shark. He's always yeah, got his he's teeth. a real he's predator, SOB you know? in this. Uh, he really is. Just he's a really good nasty, at it. He's great, though, man. <laughs> good we love at it him. Guy. We love him. He's always got a great profile, his chin's out, and he's ready to fight somebody. Yeah. yeah in fact, DeMille grabbed him, too. When DeMille did um, Cleopatra in 1934, he had Williams to play Julius Caesar. Oh. Like all the uh, Warner Brothers uh, leading actors, they all had great voices. Mm-hmm. 
which is the reason I think when we'll talk about this, how that Warren Williams became an actor because of his voice. I mean, became a sound, sound picture actor. It's the 1933 pre-code film, Employee's Entrance. And if you would be so kind, Mr. George Willeman, to give us a little a little synopsis Careful of the arc of the action. Uh, the main action of, of Employee's Entrance takes place at a large metropolitan uh, department store called Franklin Monroe. And would we assume New York City on this? Probably New York. Yeah. Probably New York City. And in fact, yes, it is, because you see him driving in a cab and you see uh, Times Square out the window. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, this store is, is very successful, and every once in a while through the first half of the movie, they bring up a graphic showing how successful Franklin Monroe is. And one of the reasons they're becoming so successful, and now when the story gets rolling, it's in the Depression, and they're, they're, having, you know, they're talking about retrenching and cutting back. They have this boss, the, the manager of the department store named Kurt Anderson, who's played by Warren Williams, who is just ready to kill to make this store Go and he is every not day, going to retrench. Every day he's killing rattlesnakes, man. Yeah, just the way this guy moves. And he will not. He will not take any prisoners. He will not. You know, have anything to do with idiots. He just bang, 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 bang. Smash or be smash smashed. Or be smashed. That's his right. motto. And he That's has the retailing no, motto. He has no respect for the bankers. He has no respect for Commodore Monroe, who's kind of a dip anyways. He's like the owner, but he's a bit flighty. Um, in fact, the you know the the Commodore goes off on his yacht and leaves this Mr. Ross, who I believe is his brother-in-law, in charge of the store. So you know Anderson immediately gets this little gal played by Alice White. To uh, to become sort of a honey bunny to Mr. Ross to keep to him off the distract him to distract keep him, him keep busy. him out of the way yeah and he continuously uh, applauds himself it, it's almost like like you know Muhammad Ali used to say it ain't bragging if you can do it that's right. the way he kind of comes <laughs> off almost all the time yeah so one of the men that is also sort of an upcomer in the store is this young uh, clerk named Martin West who is played by the ever popular Wallace Ford who basically was one of these great actors started as a leading man. Worked his way into being a character actor uh, by the time he passed away. Had done uh, 150, almost 200 films. A face that you see all the time. Very, very popular actor. And in this one, you know, he, he, he does a few things that Anderson really likes. And Anderson sort of is going to take him under his wing and make him the same kind of rapacious uh, sales demon that he is. And one of the places this comes in, we have a sound clip of this. They're having a meeting about, once again, should they retrench? Should they push forward? What are they going to do? And Anderson keeps dogging one of the head department heads named Higgins, who's been there forever. 30 about, years. Yeah, 30 years. And he's like, what do you think, Higgins? Is it a good idea? What do you think, Higgins? And Higgins is just this very quiet, quiet little man. He's like, I don't think so. We shouldn't do that. So this comes near the end of that scene when uh, Anderson just – you know, has had enough and just explodes. I was watching a tie sale downstairs. Men's ties. Who bought them? Women. All right. Let's sell men's things to women. What do you say, Higgins? Well, I I don't see anything in that. Women buy men's ties, but what of it? They don't buy anything else from men. Yes, they do. Men's shorts, right next to men's ties. Right next to the sale, and they hadn't been selling a thing. But today we made 46 sales to women. Men's drawers to women. Rubbish. I don't think so. Behind every woman's purchase is the shadow of a man. Now, here's my idea. Use shorts as a leader. Advertise it, or even don't advertise it. But move that department next to the women's ready-to-wear so the women will have to pass it. We'll try it without advertising. We'll use it as a test to see if we can sell men's drawers to women. And if we can, we can sell them men's anything. What do you think, Higgins? Fantastic. 
Not at all in line with the policy of the store. And I've been 30 years in the business. Higgins, get out. You're through. Not publicly like this. Publicly or privately, you're through. You're too old, too set. You don't think, you don't work. You just sit there and obstruct and shake your head. You think a thing can't be done because it hasn't been done. You're dead wood, Higgins. Get out. 30 years in this store isn't worth... You've been paid for all your 30 years. Overpaid. I'll give you a year's salary. It's worth it to have you out. But I'm not dead wood. Get out. Anderson, this isn't human. You can get out too. What? I, the associate executive vice president... I don't care who you are. Now get busy and shift those departments. All of you get back on the job. Work all night if necessary. Yes? <laughs> that Not even the associate executive joke. vice president can intervene and stop the steamroller of, uh, <laughs> of, of, of this guy. He's, he's completely out of control. So at this point, he puts Martin on the on the the, the track to becoming you know his his personal it makes him his personal assistant. Hmm. At the same time, earlier in the film, uh, Anderson had gone up to one of the floors to check some things out and finds a young woman uh, sleeping in the store because she's homeless. And this She's is adorable, cute. adorable. It's Loretta Young playing uh, Madeline Walters is her character name. And uh, Anderson is so taken by her, and who wouldn't be, that he gives her a job at the store. And, of course, she and and Martin have sort of the meet cute where he's showing her covers. She's dressed in a wedding dress, and he's showing her covers of love songs. She gets hired by a, uh, to be a model to for be a people model that are coming in and considering buying dresses. She right. models the dresses. And then there's the uh, the sheet music section with these completely cute song titles like, I always think of you. And he's holding them up so she can see. It's adorable. So Martin finds himself caught in this crack between marrying Madeline and being – basically marrying Kurt Anderson, the boss, because he wants Martin to be there as his right-hand man. 24 hours 24 a day. 24 hours a day. Married and, to him, basically. Yeah, right. and he's in love with Madeline. And, and at one point, they're out on the street. They see a wedding, and Martin just finally goes, oh, what the heck. They go in, and they get the, the minister of the previous wedding to marry them. But now they've got to act like they're not married. And this, of course, doesn't settle well with Madeline because she's totally now abandoned because he's spending all his time getting the store going with Kurt Anderson. And it all comes to a head when they have a big party. Massive and a blowout. A big massive blowout. And, and she's, she's upset with Martin. Martin's upset with her. Anderson is just sort of clueless of what's going on. And she ends up hanging out with Anderson. He gets her blind stinking drunk. Sends her up to his room, and then he follows along. And then, of course, it fades out. we can only imagine what happens. But here's what makes this movie so unusual. Is she sleeps with this guy twice. Not once, but twice. We're we're supposed to believe this because, oh, look at the time. It's 2 a.m. I just had just right. Now, why is that unusual? Because it happens all the time in movies nowadays, but back then it didn't happen. It's probably this movie's the reason under... why we got the code. Well, you were running <laughs> Not, under... You no. did that stuff. The surprised. writers did that stuff back then. You're running under radar, and you're instantly put, you know, kind of on alert. Watch out. Nothing was shown. It's not like there was some, you know, mm-hmm. love scene, but clearly implied. They wanted this stuff because it always meant cash benefits at the box office. It, you know, those, those pictures always did very well. Uh, now, that was one of the reasons they brought the code in, because everybody was getting the kind of the same idea, and of course they were scared that, you know, these kind of pictures are going to run over. Ruin society. Mm-hmm. In the yeah. 30s. 
in, <laughs> in the 30s. Yeah. But that's why this picture's a little different from almost all of it, because Warner's pushed that with with far more style than anybody else. Oh, yeah. And finally, Madeline and, and Martin come to a, their relationship comes to a head over this Kurt Anderson thing. And uh, Madeline goes to Anderson to try and break off this whole relationship and get out of it. And here is that scene for you. Why don't you leave me alone? Because you're an attractive woman. One of the most attractive I've ever seen. There's something in us right now that pulls us together. We haven't anything to say about it. If I just lay my hand on you now. Don't touch me. You may not come to me tonight or tomorrow night, but you'll come. You can't help it. No, I won't. Yes, you will. Furthermore, I've had a look at your sales record. It's pretty good. Good enough to make an assistant buyer of you at a bigger salary. If you just keep your head and work with me. Don't you understand? That's not what I want. What do you want me to do? Marry you? Bunk. When you dames get your claws on a man, you don't let him go till you've dragged him to some altar and ruined his life. All you're looking for is a soft place to park for the rest of your life. The only thing I've ever asked you for is to be let alone. That's all I want. And as for marrying you, you're safe there too. I'm married. And I love my husband. What I do with my life doesn't matter. But I won't make a mess out of Martin's. Martin? You mean Martin West? Yes. Yes, now you know. Why didn't he tell me? I love Martin, Mr. Anderson, more than anything else in the world. You must help me protect him. I didn't mean to tell you about our marriage. He wanted to do that. Don't tell him you know, will you? You owe me that much. I'll take care of it. A little melodrama, you know? Yeah, and so, so now the cat's out of the bag, and and now Kurt actually actually approaches the gal that he set on Mr. Ross earlier to uh, to break up the relationship between, set on Martin. between Madeline and Martin, and she won't do it. She, she has ethics now, all yeah, of a sudden. She, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's funny how it, these girls have he even ethics at, like, you know, 35 minutes in. Well, he even goes, are completely he goes, different from, like, five minutes into the picture. Well, so. he even asked her, well, when did you get principles? She said, well, I saved a couple from the crash, you know. So like principle as opposed to interest, very funny. So the uh, <laughs> Madeline is just distraught by this whole thing, and it's just a mess. She actually she takes poison. Oh, she yes. takes poison you in can't one, one of up the dressing chick, rooms. Man. You can't one up her, you, you know, even though she sleeps with a boss and the guy feels real bad about his own problems, she takes poison. Yeah. And and Martin just can't <laughs> take Martin Martin quits his job and and at the same time the board of directors are ready to vote Anderson out because, because he's he trying will to cross not, the bank. He's trying to cross the bank and he will not retrench. He will not cut back. He keeps pushing, pushing, pushing. So Martin or excuse me, Anderson is trying to get Mr. Ross to get a hold of the Commodore to give him the 40 votes that he has on the board of directors to save his job. And remember, nobody trusts banks at this time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of well, like yeah. similar to now, but back then, because of the Depression and the bank crash of 29, nobody trusted banks. And that, they were great fodder for movies. Uh, and this is mm-hmm. So the whole story comes to a rousing conclusion, which I won't talk about because I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. Go out, seek out this movie for yourself. I'll but now you, we can talk about why it's so great. Well, one of the, I tell you, one of the things that you're going to see in this movie, it, it's undeniable, is the appeal of Loretta Young. Ooh, boy. Beautiful. And you can tell that she was one of their favorites because it didn't take much to light her and make yeah. her look great because she just rolls great those eyes up. And bones. it's easy to see why she was a star in this movie. She doesn't have to do much, and she's gotcha. And she was all of 20 years old. 20 years old. And she, has been, been in, she was in movies since she was like Five. Yeah. <laughs> Little kid. Again, we're talking about the movie Employees Entrance, the 1933 pre 
Code Classic, which is notable because of the restrictions that later came down on the sort of morality movie scape uh, did not apply here. Just when you think at Warren Williams, you can't get enough of this guy and how his, you know, he's very intentional about taking over the world, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, and the sewage is backing up in his life and his personality. And his 4th floor bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, 4th floor bathroom. (laughs) Mr. Anderson. (laughs) Then he he just keeps going. He just keeps going. He keeps going. It's it's the power of this character. And it's easy to say uh, that's identifiable, but how many actors could pull that off with that kind of forceful personality? It became, I mean, this became Warren Williams' stock in trade. And again, he's one of these unfortunately forgotten actors um, because he he basically acted until his death in 1947. He died from uh, multiple myeloma, which is an incurable uh, cancer of the bone marrow. But back in the movie, he had one of these great lines, uh, when a man outlives his usefulness, he should jump out of a window. Right. Just ruthless, just heartless. Because <laughs> he had one of his, the thirty-year-old part, employee that he fired jumped out of a jumps window. out of a window. And then the, the, Higgins, the, who yeah, yeah when, the when they talk veteran. to Warren Williams about it, you know what do you think? And everybody's going, oh, that's just too bad. And that's what he says. Well, when a man outlives his usefulness, he should jump out of a window. Just horrible to to and a T. This Anderson character, you gotta love that character. You gotta love him. No, you. <laughs> you can't make well, me love him. <laughs> and Warren Williams' stock and trade became this cad character. You know, he's just constantly in every film you see him in. He's always, you know, he's hard as nails, and he's a ladies' man, and he's rapacious, and he's out to get things. What's really interesting, though, in real life, he was extremely quiet, kept to himself, married his wife in 1923, and they remained married right up to the day he died. He would not be saying things in real life like, I didn't recognize you with your clothes on. (laughs) Seriously. I thought that was a bit racy. This is 1932. Come on. It's a beautiful movie, and he was, black he was, and white. He was raised on a poor little farm in Ohio, and he, he scratched and clawed his way to the top. I have to say another thing. Not only have we enjoyed black and white movies for this most recent run of reviews, but Ohio crops up and up and up. Ohio is is like a, I don't know why, but it's it's a good mainstay. First of all, it's nice and easy to say Ohio. 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 But it is a good <laughs> center of, of of all things of America. It represents. You know, it really does. And one of the things that I love and appreciate about this movie is that he's running a department store. How many times do you see guys in movies nowadays that run a a department store? I did my time in a department store when I was a teenager, and and I can appreciate this retailing racket, you know? Well, it's kind of a a bygone era, really. But he's running this grand department store. Not a little skimpy... Multi-floor. Big pillars, and they have these huge, tall, you know, ceilings. It's gorgeous. Higby's, Reich's, all this great... Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't. That's one thing that is also really cool about this film is to see the inner workings of this big multi-floor department store, which is something you don't see a whole lot of these days. Unless you go to a big city, they're always going up on this elevator until they have problems. Of course, then they go down. I love learning about direction from the film guys. The direction matters. (laughs) Well, one of our favorite ones is Babyface, which we'll talk about, and she does kind of the same thing because she's working her way to the top. She's sleeping her way to the top. That's always the they direction's go always up. Four by four. <laughs> you know, I wonder if we if I hadn't met the film guys, if I would have never in my whole life realized the significance of the motion, the mo- the direction of motion in this A movie. good director will will take motion into consideration. Mm-hmm. Because and it's, always it's on that a elevator psychological issue. And back in the old days, most department stores had elevators, sure. you know, and they would take you to 
a world after itself, you know, the seventh floor. That's furnishing. You see in this movie, they got those old ovens and I have to say a couple of times. Yeah. A couple of times in this, I was reminded of the hierarchy that they're kind of making fun of in Are You Being Served? The British comedy about mm-hmm. a department store and each floor had its own, especially everybody very, you know, proprietary and protective of their particular regions and uh, very, very interesting sort of set uh, cast of characters that inhabit these places. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to warn you, guy. animal lovers in there, watch out, because <gasps> this girl throws this dog down pretty hard. There's Not no only... SPCA, <laughs> SPCA back then. But you got to watch it, man. She's got. But the dog gets up and walks away. We know he's okay. Not only well, hard to watch. Then, then only... Anderson picks him up and throws him in the trash can. By the scruff of his back, <laughs> not even of his neck, throws him in the trash can. You're like, this really was pre-code. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen, we should uh, take a moment to remind ourselves of the rules. Well, we know it's hard to sell you on these rules, but again, we're not looking at this from revisionist history. We're looking at it from cinema as it stood. And still to this day, to have that kind of character is 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 more modern now than it was then. Yeah. It's okay mm-hmm. for a guy to be like Warren Williams, I think. Yeah. Kind well, of- it, it creates it. I mean, from the moment you, you, you're right in there with him, you can't believe. There's almost the... Like, you're in incredulity that's how you say that word incredulity incredulity also lends to sort of being sucked in just like you're just like what what a complete just horrible mean jerk of a guy and 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 it sustains it throughout it's my no personal doubt. hero actually <laughs> you got it don't you have that that picture of him up in your bathroom that's right right yeah. beside that grandmother picture that you gave me <laughs> I, I put his picture over that one george <laughs> Well, and the other thing that's great about this, and this is something we can talk about too, is this movie tells this incredible story at a you know a, a beautifully paced film in less than an hour and a half. Oh yeah, and you know the snappy dialogue that was very fashionable at the time to do that kind of movie. It was uh, Howard Hawks, the ones that have survived, like mm-hmm. Bringing Up Baby, and a lot of Capra films. They're all very snappy. They got people talking very very fast. Mm-hmm. In fact, this film is an hour and fifteen minutes, so it's it's very short. Very short. A lot in there. A lot packed and into it. Beautifully done. Pacing and is like lightning. As far as rule number three, uh, certainly the, the setting has a resonance through, you know, we just experienced a pretty serious uh, financial blow in our uh, coming back. And, and this- there's still retail and there's still people sleeping their way to the top in the okay. retail world. And all over in all kinds of ways. In and- department stores too. Yeah. <laughs> and getting on the elevator and going up, up, up. So I think we're, we've satisfied all the rules. Uh, a, a perfect movie, a good watch, very fun, uh, a, a nice ride. And well, you know, we are dealing with people who are kind of serious about movies. You might want to watch this because this is a very, very pivotal movie in the history of the cinema. Now, now the trick... The trick, United States, that is. The trick with this movie is going to be seeing it because it was put out on Laserdisc years ago, but... Try and find that. They were called Warner um, Before the Code, I believe. That's yeah. a series called Warner Before the Code. Yeah, it was Forbidden Hollywood. Oh, yeah, they had the Warner Before the Code. That festival. was where I first saw it. So, yeah, so if, if you're in New York City, the Film Forum often runs uh, these pre code festivals. And, and fun, uh, Turner Classic Movies, it will show up on there sometimes. Usually real late at night. <laughs> what? But about the only time, only way you can get it right now is if you can find a VHS copy of it off of Amazon. There are still a few of those left. Isn't that something? Uh, the other thing to keep an eye on is a new thing Warner Brothers has started called the Warner Archive, where they are reissuing a lot of their more obscure titles on DVD-Rs. 
And that's you just look up Warner Archive on the web and you will find it. Also, keep in mind when you watch this movie, these people were making four and five movies a year. Yeah. They were grinding these things out like making Fords and Chevys. So these actors were constantly working and they always had people on that score for making music. Uh, these act they were selling actors. The actors propelled these movies, you know, in the story they were always trying to get the writers to match the actors' popularity with story. And uh, just think about that when you're watching this picture. It's a lot to see, and it's uh, definitely worth it. A perfect movie, Employee's Entrance, from 1933. Hey, write to the film, guys. If you have thoughts on this or any other movie, maybe you have a perfect movie that you would like them to consider. It's filmguys at perfectmovie.net. A huge kudos and thank you going out to the Little Art Theater for hooking us up yes, this time indeed. around. Oh, and check us out on Facebook, too. Hey! Yeah. Seventh floor, underwear. <laughs> and rubber goods. <laughs> Jay Todd Anderson, thank you for being here. A4 <laughs> Flippers and Frogman attire. <laughs> George Willowman, <laughs> as always, a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.